Good morning, everyone. Uh, Pastor Alan Pantarelli uh, is my name. I would imagine for a vast majority, maybe all, other than the people I met this morning, you've never seen me in your entire life. Um, so I won't give you a whole rundown, but I am married. Um, I have a, co- a daughter in college. She goes to Grand Canyon University. I have a 15-year-old son who attends Grand Rapids Christian. He's big, really big into soccer, um, and we attend. I'm on staff at Kentwood Community Church, not too far, uh, right? Um, down the road from here. Um, I've been there not even a year. Um, prior to that, um, I was a church planter in the Christian Reformed Church. And when I started seminary many years ago, I sat with this extremely friendly, big hugger, and I think you guys call him Pastor Wayne, in terms of that was the first time that I ever met your pastor, and it was at the first day, literally our first day of orientation um, at Kelvin Seminary is where I met this guy that um, I always thought I was loud and had a lot of energy, but then I met him, and uh, I'll admit, this is the honest truth, I've become more of a hugger. Like, I've not always been like a hugger. But he's a hugger, or at least he hugged me. And I don't know if I'm saying, okay, there I was getting some faces like, yeah, he likes to hug. Um, but that's, that's my association. We're also, your church is through Love Incorporated, right? South Kent County. Uh, there's multiple churches that are a part of that. Kentwood Community uh, Church is part of that. So is the peer. Um, and so that's another relationship that draws us together. Um, Usually I'll share something awkward or a joy just so, because here's the, here's the thing. When you have somebody new and you're going to bring the word, one, you only have a few moments to get everybody's attention. And then at the same time, whether you admit it or not, because you don't know me, you're making like, well, who, what kind of a guy is this? Like, who, who is this that's going to open up the word? Um, and so here's a, a joy. I'm going to share a joy with you. Enjoy this morning, and this is how God works. Give me an amen when I'm done, if you agree with me. How, if you never think he's, maybe you've prayed a lot and he's not answering it, um, but then you make certain prayers, and then all of a sudden, you're reminded that God always hears us, and he moves according to his will and how he's going to do it. So yesterday, as an example, yesterday, I'm driving in the car, and I have no idea, I do know how, why, is that the Holy Spirit brings an old friend. Super close discipleship relationship. His name is Vince. I called him Big Vince because Vince is like 6'5", 300, like 330 pounds. He is a large, big, he would squish me, right? And I was, I had the pleasure of knowing Vince, of leading Vince to Jesus Christ. And like he went through a lot of stuff in his life. And then Vince moved and he moved to North Carolina. And that was years ago. And I talked to him over the phone a little bit here and there, but it's been at least two to three years. Yesterday in the car, I I don't know, we were, I don't, trying to think, I was with my wife and we're driving and he pops into my mind and I'm like, honey, do you remember Vince, big Vince? Oh yeah, he was larger than life. He's such a great guy. I wonder how he's doing. And I'm like, man, I haven't seen him in a long time. It's partly my fault. I haven't called him either. I wonder how he's doing. Oh yeah, I wonder how he's doing, my wife says. You go to bed. It's gone, right? You're like, hey, I thought about Vince. I think at that moment, if I'm, hey, Lord, I hope you're with Vince, right? I hope he's doing well. I know he's gone through a lot and struggles with his family, but I hope you're with him. And, that, and then I'll admit it just lost my mind. Well, I was here this morning. I got here, what, 9.15, 9.20. I was leaving my house at like 9. And right before I left, I'm getting my shoes on. My dog, I have a big old white German shepherd. He starts going crazy. He only goes crazy when somebody's outside the door. I don't even need to know. You don't even know. Everybody knows where I'm going with this story, yes? 
So this morning, I open up the door. My wife's holding our dog back because usually people don't, in my neighborhood don't show up at your house that early in the morning. And so I open up the door. That's Big Vince. I mean, right? Amen, right? So he's just sitting there. And I, I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, Vince. And I, I, I gave him a hug. Maybe that's because of Pastor Wayne. I don't know. But so I give him a hug. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I, I came down to visit. His in-laws live in my neighborhood. And he's like, I figured I'd stop by your house. I haven't seen you in like three, four years or whatever. And I'm like, Vince, looked at the time and I'm like, I got to go. Like I'm preaching at a different church. Like I got to go, Vince. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to the UP to, to, to camp. And if you met this man, you would never think that he was going to the, the UP to, to camp. You just wouldn't. And I'm like, you are? And he's like, but I'll be back on Tuesday. And so on Tuesday, I'm going to stop by your house. Let's hang out, have dinner together, and I'll get to hang out with Vince. God is always moving, always working in our lives, even when we don't see it. Or sometimes when we're like, are you really moving, God? Something as simple as I'm thinking about somebody, and absolutely that is God moving until Vince shows up just to be like, yeah, Alan, I can do that too. You were thinking about him, I'll have him show up. So I look forward uh, to meeting Vince and just reconnecting with him on, on Tuesday. Amen? Amen? Amen, amen. I don't know what you do here at the church. If you're willing and able, uh, we're going to read through um, Colossians chapter 1. Does anybody not have a Bible? And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and I'm confident that we are going to get you a Bible. And rumor has it that if you didn't have a Bible... Before, and you take this Bible, it's yours to keep. You can bring that home if you didn't have your own personal Bible. Is that a true statement? Sounds like that's what happens here. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll get you one. If you do have your Bible, open it up. New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. And if you're willing and able, I'm going to have everybody stand. And we're going to read 15 through 23 together. I see people, I'm looking, I'll look around for a few, I see some pages, which is awesome. I, I love, I love when people are, are turning to the passage, that's good, It's a good sign. Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. I'm, I'm hoping, this is an NIV, I'm just throwing that out there because if yours is not, it's going to sound a little bit different, but it, it all, it'll all say the same stuff. Colossians 1, chapter 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven in which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen? 
Amen. You can take a seat. You don't have to know him. Um, there was a teaching. There was a teaching that I heard a long time ago. There's a, there's a, a pastor. He's a theologian. I think now he's actually like a, um, a dean of students at a, a seminary in Zambia. Vadi Bachman. Has anybody heard of that? Bakum. Vadi Bakum is his name. He's a teacher. I see some names. And so um, this isn't his sermon, but I listen. I remember listening to this teaching, and it was about this passage, and it was just, it was, it was awesome, um, and it's really what's led uh, when Pastor uh, Wayne was like, hey, you, I need you to preach. Can you cover for me? I was like, yeah, I'd be more than happy to do that on this Sunday, um, that the Lord put this uh, particular passage on my mind, and I, I remember that teaching um, as well, and I just wanted to put that out there, um, but this is what I want to do is I want to suggest this morning that it doesn't matter your age doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter our color, our cultural background. I don't care if you're from Grand Rapids. I don't care if we're talking about somebody in Tokyo or Australia. I believe that there's four key questions. There's four questions that every single human being is going to ask. Sometime in their life, they're going to ask themselves and think about these questions. Now, they may, they may think about them differently or word them differently, they articulate them based on where they're from or, or how old they are. But here's the questions. Question one is going to be, who am I? Deep question, simple, small, deep. Who am I? Second question, what am I doing here? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? Third question, it doesn't take long. What seems to be wrong with the world that I'm living in? Because if you turn on the news or just live a given day, you sort of notice real quickly that things aren't always so good. So what's going on? What is wrong in this world that I live in? That last question, can what is wrong be fixed? Is, is there a solution to the problem or, or is this just the way it's always going to be or has always been? Who am I? What am I doing here? What is wrong with the world? Can what is wrong be made right? Four questions, regardless. I believe every person will ask, ask those questions. Today, this morning, I want to look at a response to those questions from two different worldviews. Now, that's quite simplistic because you might sit here and be like, well, there could be multiple worldviews, but I like to suggest that there's two competing main lenses in, t in, in terms of how we would answer these questions or how we think about life. There's two main. Now, that's a very simplistic thing. And so what I want to do is I'm going to sort of break down these two worldviews, very simplistic. Hence, I don't want to be here for hours. But then I want to go back to those four questions and sort of answer them from each perspective. That's what we're going to do. Is that all right? Am I good? Okay, this first worldview, this, we'll, we'll call it, the, it's a cultural worldview. Some would say it's a postmodern cultural view. You may have heard the words before of secular humanism. Now you could study about this postmodern culture or secular humanism. You could buy books and books and, and read a lot about it. But I want to give you just the basic head points of it. 
Its main, its main bullet points of what to know about this cultural worldview, how you see the world, is one is that, bullet point one is that man is the starting point of all things. Man is the central figure in all of life. In this worldview, you live in a closed system. Well, what do you mean by that? What I mean by you live in a closed system is that what you see around you, in terms of nature, everything around us, is what you get. Well, what does that mean? That means within that view that it's closed, that means that there is no such thing as the supernatural. That there is no, there's no God, there's no force that can act within this. It's, it's just what I can see. And so there is no belief in the supernatural. Some people would say atheistic, right? That would be a technical term for that thought. In this particular cultural worldview, truth, what we believe to truth is relative. It's, it's based on the culture that we live in, the, the time in terms of the historic time that we live in. It's, it's on circumstances, lots of different variables, right, that will determine what your truth is. Therefore, your truth is true for you, what you believe to be true, but it may not be the truth for me or your neighbor or the person down the street. I'm sure you have all run into this at some point. Maybe give me a little amen in terms of, hey, I believe this to be true, but then usually we get a little shy or, or people might say, well, at least for me. I think this is true, at least for me, but it might not be for you. And other people will say, well, yeah, that's true for you, but I believe these things, these values, these things are, are true for me. That's a, a bullet point, a strong one in this particular cultural worldview. Then there's another worldview. There's a Christian right? A Christian theistic worldview. We'll call it a biblical worldview if you want to call it that. It's one and the same. Bullet points of that is that God is the center. He's the central focus point of all things. We don't live in a closed system in this theistic, this, this biblical worldview. We don't live in a closed system because God is the center of that system. Therefore, he can engage in this creative order any way he sees fit. It means in this worldview, there is a belief in the supernatural, things that we can't see or things that we don't fully understand around us. And in, in this particular worldview, in this Christian, theistic, biblical worldview, truth is absolute. It's not relative, it's absolute. And God defines what that truth is. That truth is not changing. That truth is the same yesterday, today, and it will be the same truth as tomorrow. He creates that. Those are the two basic, and I, 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 those are simplistic, but is everybody tracking? You can give me a little silent amen. Are we on the same? You see the difference in these two worldviews. What's very interesting is that this isn't just an Alan Random statistic, but if you were to look at polls based on these two cultural worldviews, Many people, less today than 10 years ago, but a large majority of people would check the box of a the theistic biblical worldview. They would check that box, but then when asked follow-up questions, a vast majority of all people would fall into, based on how they respond to other questions, they would respond into this cultural, this postmodern worldview. So they might check a box and say, this is what I believe, but really how they answer questions and how they think about things is they would fit into this cultural view. Very interesting um, when I read about this. But again, simplistic, simplistic 
ways to look at these two worldviews, but I want to set them up. Now I want to go and respond to those four key questions that I believe everybody will ask themselves. Let's start with a cultural worldview. Let's start with a cultural worldview. Who am I? According to the culture, according to that first worldview we thought about, who am I? Well, honestly, I just wrote it down here. You're nothing. You're a cosmic accident, a random outcome of evolutionary process. You're a glorified ape with opposable thumb, big brains, and the ability to have intellectual thoughts. In all respects, you're just a number. Hmm. Well, what am I doing here? Just a number, a random. Well, what am I doing here then? What's my purpose to this question number two? Well, according to that worldview, the secular humanism view, at the end of the day, you exist to consume and be satisfied. To consume and enjoy. Your purpose is to get what you can, when you can, however you can. Do what it takes to give yourself the greatest amount of satisfaction. Think about this for just a second. Take those responses to these two first key questions. If I don't really have any true meaning, any intrinsic value, if I don't really have any value, if I'm just a a random accident of evolutionary process, and if my purpose is to, to consume, to make myself happy, if you're following this process of thinking, what then happens? The potential issue with that is if I'm just an accident, if I'm here just to consume, then if you have something that I want, then I am going to take it if it gives me satisfaction. If, if you are hindering me from gaining the satisfaction that I want, then I am going to eliminate you because really you don't have any value. If you're following me, you'll see that power then. Whoever has the most power then wins. I will do whatever it takes to be satisfied. And if you're in my way, I'll either take what I want or I'll eliminate you in the process. Well, Pastor Allen, you're being a little extreme here. Seems a little negative. Well, doesn't history prove this on some major scales? A people group said that there's one race, the Aryan race. It is better and more evolved than all others. So in order to move forward as a civilization, in order to move forward, you simply exterminate everything that doesn't fit into your box. Is that not what happened? Is that what not led to a justification for the death of millions of Jews? Well, let's not be too hard the Nazis, don't countless justify every day that what's inside of a pregnant woman is just cells? It's not life, it's just, just cells. And therefore, it becomes justification to have an abortion, to say, I, 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 I don't want to. I, I, this is going to change my life. It's going to impact my life. It's going to make my life less satisfactory. And for a large majority, that becomes the justification. It's the same idea. If I'm here to just exist, to consume, if anything's holding me back, 
then I'll simply eliminate it or I'll take what I want. The same thought would go with the idea of euthanasia. If you're older and oftentimes, raise your hand, it's not easy if somebody in your family, your parents, right, if, if you end up taking care of them, it can be time-consuming. It can take a lot. It's, it's, very, it's not very easy. But a cultural rule of view would say if it's too much hindrance to your family, there is a way out. You, you can stop that, that burden. I want you to be fully satisfied. Therefore, I don't need to live anymore. Wow. Because life doesn't have value. Are you following me on that? What am I doing here? I'm here simply to consume and enjoy. Well, what's wrong with the world? What's, what's, what's causing the problems? What's wrong with the world in this cultural, this secular human view? What's wrong? Well, simply put, people are not knowledgeable enough. If people just had the right information, if people just knew enough, they wouldn't make those mistakes. So knowledge, learning. And if people were just, you know what the problem is in this worldview, the problem is that people aren't governed enough. There's not enough proper leadership and therefore we don't have that. We don't have proper leadership. So that would just go to that final question. Can what is wrong be made right? According to this view, according to that worldview, if, if it's about knowledge and about leadership and, and direction, then simply put, if you want to fix the problem with what's wrong with the world, then let's educate people as much as that we can. Give them all the information of how they need to make choices and let's govern them. Let's give them as many leaders and good leaders along the way. Let's, let's direct them so that they know how to live the right way. Then we can correct those issues. What's the end result What's the end result of a worldview that responds to these core life questions? What is that result? It's clear. In our world today, it is clear. People are left empty, longing for more, broken, and frustrated. I'm not trying to start us out down the bad road of like, oh my word. But have you been living in the same culture I have? So many people are lonely angry everywhere I go, not just on the news, I can go out to the store. There's so much frustration, so much longing, emptiness in people. And then it comes out in all of these, it's like repressed anger or frustration and people lash out at each other, whether I know you or not. That's because of the response of this type of a worldview to these questions that are deep, that we'll all ask ourselves, Now, if I just had us pray and we left, it'd be the worst teaching you ever heard. <laughs> but I want you to now, you can still have your Bible open. Let's go to the passage that we read for today. Let's go to Colossians because I believe it's just in these verses, in these verses, I believe we can make a response with this other worldview, with this Christian, with this theistic, with this biblical worldview. Just in these short verses, we can respond to him, and that's what I want to do. Who am I? Is the first question. Let's read. Chapter 1, 15 and 16. Let's just read those first couple of verses. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Pause. At first, you may think that it appears that, well, how does that necessarily address that first question of who am I? But what if we found a better way to think about the question? What if we asked ourselves, who am I as it relates to who Christ is? All things, heaven and earth, visible and invisible, were created through him and for him. You got your Bibles, keep your finger in Colossians. Very familiar passage, go back to the really beginning. Genesis chapter one. Somebody turn in your word. I'm gonna ask for a volunteer if you would. Go to Genesis chapter one. So at least one person needs to turn there. I want you to read Genesis 1, 26 and 27. If you're willing to do that, nice and loud. In the beginning, oh, I'm sorry, 26 and 27. Yep, 1, 26 and 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You're good. Then God said, let, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Amen. Brother, stay there for a second. Go to, just read verse 31. Give me the first three words if we're following the story. Verse 131. One more. I'm going to have you turn the page just real quickly so you see this on Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Remember, when we're listening to this, everything was created through him and for him, as in Jesus. Go ahead. Then the Lord God formed the man of, the du of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Wow. I hope somebody just said Amen. Who am I? You are the crowning jewel of the creator of the universe. You're made in his likeness, in his image. He breathed life into your lungs, and therefore you matter. You are distinct, purposeful, and have value in and of your very being. Your value is not based on what other people think about you. Your value is not even based on what you think about yourself. It's based on the fact that you were created in the image, by the image bearer. You are an image bearer of the creator of the universe. And therefore, nobody, nobody has the right to determine your value. Christian theism, this worldview that we're talking about, it cannot tolerate, it has no place for things like racism, sexism, or any other type of isms. We are the prize creation of the maker of the universe. That should get an amen. But here's the push, right? Let's be real. I like to keep it real. Here would be the pushback from a cultural worldview to these kinds of statements. Specifically in our culture, right, is the question, the question will arise, well, okay, okay, if that's true, well, why can't we just look at here in the United States? What about our own country? Here in the United States, on one hand, we've proclaimed to be a country that had this belief in God, but at the same time, 
We did not give equal value of lives the same. On one hand, they declared our country, right from its beginning, declared allegiance to God. But on the other hand, we enslaved, right? We enslaved and demeaned the life of countless African Americans and other people groups. What do you have to say about that, the culture would say? If it's a Christian country, well, how can you, in your worldview, if, if you're made in the image, well, then how did this happen? What about this reality? And how would I respond to that? I don't think I have anything to say about it. I don't know if you can say anything, but actually I think there was a, a, a perfect remark instead of trying to come up with a, a long answer is the best thing I ever read about that specific question was that narrative isn't normative. You can write that down. Think about that for a second. Narrative, the story doesn't mean that it's normative. Just because something happened does not mean that it was okay. Are we tracking? Of course, our country has a horrible history regarding racism. And of course, if we were to be honest, racism still exists in our world today, but not like it did. And here's the thing to think about. Every battle, every march of justice, everything that we have done in terms of trying to work against things just like racism, where have they always found their root in their core defense? They always went back to Genesis 1. No matter what the group was, they'd always grab, even if they didn't know they were grabbing it there, they'd go back to Genesis 1 and say, well, everybody's created in, in the image of God. Wow. At its core, the, always the worldview that finds its root in Genesis 1. Who am I? You're the crowning jewel of the creator of the universe. You were created in his likeness and image. Therefore, you have value. Well, why am I here? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? Look at 17 and 18. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Say this out loud if you would. In everything, he might. Let's, let's replace it. We already know who the he is. Jesus would have the supremacy. So that in everything, Christ may have the supremacy. Everything. Why do I exist? What am I doing? We exist to bring honor and glory to Jesus. It's all about him. What would it look like if we actually lived that out? It's so countercultural to the secular humanistic, to that other worldview that says it's actually all about the man. It's all about me. What would it look like if you truly lived your life and every decision, every aspect of your life was about what does this do for the supremacy of who Jesus is? What if your decisions on what job you had, on how you were in relationship with your spouse, of how you picked friends, of what job you picked, you name it. What if your first thought was, is how I'm doing this, how is it bringing supremacy to Jesus Christ? Can you imagine 
If every thought, everything that we are choosing to do, we, the first thought that popped into our mind is, is how is this, how is this bringing? Is this bringing, right? Supremacy to Jesus Christ. Is that how you live your life today? I ask myself that. Is that how I go into all my decision-making process? Or do I have a tendency sometimes to, to think about consumption, satisfaction, things like legacy? I, I want to be happy. I want my family to be happy. And, and whatever it takes, and I'll create what is happy will be it's a house or it's this and it's another car or it's this or this. And then I create what that happiness is. And this isn't a point where you can't be happy, but I'm saying what if my thought was is my decisions and how am I living my life Am I bringing joy? Am I honoring the supremacy of Jesus Christ in how I'm living my life in every area, not just to come into church on a Sunday? Huh. Why am I here? To give all honor and glory to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Well, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world according to this view? Well, let's read 19 through 21. Go back to Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. What's wrong with the world? Simply put, if somebody just said it out loud, you're the problem. So am I. I just have, I'm up front, so all of us. We're the problem. Huh. But here's again, we think about this question, right? It's a big question. What's going on? What's with all the wrong? The elephant in the room. If you ever had a deep conversation and you, you're talking to somebody that lives by this other cultural worldview... The elephant in the room is, well, well, if you believe in a good God, an all-powerful good God, then well, then why do bad things happen? It's a question. It's a good question. I mean, it's a question that does come up. Why do bad things happen then if you claim that God is all-powerful and he's good? It's a big philosophical question. But what's wrong with that question? I believe there's a more important question that should be asked and said. You see, asking why a good God would allow bad things is a man-centered thought. It says, I believe in a God, I believe in the supremacy of me. I want an all-powerful God, but a God that is not sovereign. Think about that. Because deep down here is the bigger question that we should ask ourselves in terms of, well, why do bad things happen? I would say, ask yourself this question. <laughs> I love when people are following. Amen. Here's the question. Here's the question to ask ourselves instead. Why on earth would a perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing most importantly, an all-holy God, why would he allow you to have another breath right now? Why does he allow you to exist even this morning? 
What is it about it? If he's holy and we are not, if we're the problem, then what justification does he have not to? That's a powerful question. If he's a sovereign God and he's holy and people are not, then what the question we shouldn't ask ourselves is why does this God do this? Why doesn't he? What right do we have? How does the potter, the clay, speak to the potter and tell him what to do? It's something to think about. What is wrong with the world? We are. Mankind's fallen, and we know this from a biblical perspective. And those that fall short, those that aren't holy, they end up dealing with the wrath, God's anger, his just anger against sin because he's holy. And that which will be with God must be holy. So we're the problem. Can what is wrong be made right? If that's truth, then, then if, there's, if, if that's causing, if we are the cause of these problems that I see all around us, can what is wrong be made right? Well, let's read the end. Let's read 22 and 23. But <laughs> now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Secular humanism, that, that, that postmodern, that cultural worldview, it says that more education and more governance is needed to fix the problem. But if we're the problem, then more education would honestly just mean that we get more sophisticated evilness. And if, and if, if it's about governance, then who's going to govern the people that govern us? That's not a solution. That's not a solution at all. But here in those last couple of verses, well, look at the 22. In the NIV, everybody's, I don't know if you have an NIV, what's that first word? <laughs> don't you love the butts of the Bible? Right? There's the, sometimes those butts are so heavy. Here's the situation, but I love the butts of the Bible, which is a silly comment. What is wrong with this world can be made right. And in those verses, it's from the, the atonement. The, we use words like the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Unless because there is this unholiness and because there is a wrath, a punishment to pay for what has been done wrong, something has to, not something, somebody has to stand in the gap for that. And Jesus Christ does. He sheds his blood for that so that we can be in relationship with the Father, so that we can be holy, not in and of ourselves, but through him, through Jesus Christ. Wow. The word says, no, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The word of God says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for all, for all the us, the righteous for the unrighteous. I'm hoping that you can get excited for that, that this is the situation of how bad things were, and this is what Jesus does through his death. He stands in the gap for us. If you believe that this morning, then I would say amen to that. Amen? 
And then it ends, if you continue in your faith, staying established, rooted, firm in the hope, declared in the gospel that you heard, the supremacy of Christ is our hope. He has done it all. I don't know. Am I good on time? I got, got, do I got a little more or are we done? Okay, I don't know. Somebody can say you're done and I'll, I'll close up. I'll, I'll honor that. I got just a little more, a little more if you're following me. Think about this for a second. Again, I'm going to be simplistic. But I like simplistic sometimes because it, it just makes it easier to understand, at least for, for me. Think about all other religions because it's not like Christianity has the only solution to a problem. That's the worldview and we believe in it. But all other religions are trying to make sense of those four questions. But here's what's at the core of all other religions, if you go searching. I have found that in all other religions, you, you go to have an experience. You, you want to you have something mystical happen. You want something that is, religions I'm talking about, something that's uh, the unseen, something that moves you. And then after you, after you sort of experience something, then it's about doing more good than bad. Then it's about following a group of rules or rituals. If you just do more good than bad, then most other religions, I think all, would say, well, then maybe. You're not guaranteed heaven. You're not guaranteed utopia. You're not guaranteed, right, nirvana. But you better try to do more good than bad or follow a set of rules. And then maybe then maybe it works out for you. But there's still no guarantees. Quick story, I'm going to try to make it short. My own life, trying to answer these own questions before I had Jesus Christ. I found myself in Oakland, California, in the middle of a redwood forest at a Buddhist temple. Didn't think I would ever find myself there, but I was looking for enlightenment. I was looking, I wanted, I was searching for something because I was lost, broken, angry. Searching. And I remember sitting it was beautiful, no doubt. It was beautiful, this temple. It was just a gorgeous setting. And the monks would sit up front and they were going through their service. They were chanting. And then you would get to sit out and you sat out on these pretty cool pillows. And I'm not, this isn't a marketing gig for a Buddhist temple, but I'm saying you're sitting on this and you're, my legs were crossed and, and you could follow along with them. And, and they would invite you they would invite you, not the main monks, but there would be, you know, a spokesperson and, and they would invite you into this rhythm of chanting. And I'm not going to do it here. I'm not trying to introduce it, but you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about chanting, humming. Um, we find it a lot in yoga today, right? And so I'm sitting there and, and I, I, my heart, I, I, want, I want to experience something. And I'm chanting. Absolutely something comes over me. Absolutely of out-of-body experience. I feel like I am not in myself and that there's something going on around me. I'll admit it was scary. That should have told me something in the first place. But I experienced something. It wasn't like I just sat there and smiled. I experienced, looking back, I believe absolutely that that's evil, even though it was masquerading as something that I thought would be good. And so I left there. I left there. I'm like, I've experienced something. And my mind goes, now if I could just be a good person. 
If I can just do more good than bad because I've had this experience and, and there's something about this, this, this Buddhism, there's something about this, this experiencing something bigger than yourself, that, that must be the answer. So can I just do more good than bad? And I tried doing good. But here's the thing is when I did do good, it wasn't actually really good because I found myself doing good because I wanted to impress people. The things that I did do good, even though I still did some bad stuff, I was trying to do good, but deep down I absolutely knew I'm doing these good things because I'm trying to prove something to somebody else or to a God. And so it wasn't really good in itself. It's impossible for me to make up for my own broken heart. I was desperately in need of a savior. I needed it. I was broken and I realized the answer to the question is that I'm the problem. How? But here's the thing. The creator of the universe, he knows this. He tells you through the gospel that, that you don't have to do it. He directs all of our attention to a cross, to an unblemished lamb, a humbled son, a perfect son, who openly and selfishly is an obedient son, who steps away, steps in the way of his father's wrath and by his action says, forgive them, father, for they don't know what they're doing. You remember that? He pays the price. He's the only solution to what is wrong in the world today. You can give me an amen after this, but do you know that this, this song or the words of this song, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of the Jesus. Who am I? Who are you if you're in Christ Jesus this morning? The crown and glory of the creator of the universe. What are you doing here? What is your purpose? You exist to exalt the supremacy of Jesus Christ. What's wrong with the world? I think we know. How can what is wrong be made right? Through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ and repentance on our part for those that believe in the supremacy of Christ. That is the worldview. That is the lens in which we should answer life's large questions. Jesus is at its center and how beautiful that you can turn to scripture in a single group of verses. You have a response to what the culture has to say. So my heart and prayer before I close is what worldview and lens is shaping you? What is occupying your time? How are you trying to live out this world? Is it through the supremacy of Jesus Christ? Is it through a, a world that says it's all about you? It's all about your satisfaction. I would pray that you would come and if you're not there, that you would repent, that turn from and say, it's all about him. I recognize who I was and it's all about him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active and, it, and Father God, it does. It answers our big questions. We thank you, Lord, for how you loved us how you love us, and Father God, we thank you how you loved us most of all. We recognize that we are the problem in this world, that brokenness and sinfulness is the issue. 
and that justice has to be served for that which is wrong. And Father God, you loved us so much that you sent your son to stand in that gap and say, look at me. I love you so much that I'm willing to die on a cross. Now, if you would just lift your eyes up and believe in me, Jesus says, I'll give you everything, life in the full. We thank you, Father God, that everything is not about us because we have a tendency to mess that stuff up. Keep reminding us, Holy Spirit. Keep reminding us every moment of every day that everything, that every breath that we have is given to us to give all honor and glory and praise to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen? Amen, amen. amen.